Hello and thanks for listening to RT Radio 1's The Rolling Wave podcast with me, Aoife Nick In this episode, I'm joined by the director of the Irish Traditional Music Archive in Dublin, Liam O'Connor, to talk about some recently discovered and previously unheard recordings of fiddle players Michael Coleman, Lad O'Byrne and others recorded in New York in the 1940s. Courtesy of Joe Burke, Mick O'Connor and Lad O'Byrne's son, Jim O'Byrne, the Irish Traditional Music Archive I've recently acquired some very valuable and previously unheard recordings of fiddle players Michael Coleman and Lad O'Byrne with others including Martin Wynne and Louis Quinn. And on tonight's Rolling Wave, we're delighted to be able to give a first airing to some of these new discoveries. And the director of ITMA, Liam O'Connor, will be with us to talk about them and their significance. But first of all, the voice of another fiddle player, Vincent Harrison, a man who lived in the States for years, who knew Lado Byrne and admired him and Michael Coleman greatly. In this little clip, he's telling Peter Brown how he and his contemporaries used to try and copy the fiddle playing of both Lado O'Byrne and Michael Coleman. And then after Vincent, we'll hear some of those recently digitised acetates. And this time it'll be Lad O'Byrne and Martin Wynne playing. We definitely did, but it was very, very hard to do. Yes. He had something that him and Lad had something that was very, very hard to copy. Yes. After you, you play the record and you heard it, you play it again the next day and you heard something in it the next day that you didn't hear the day before. So there was always something mysterious about their playing. They had quality, rhythm and charm. Hello, Dick. Here is music which I think is outside your sphere of criticism. What do you think? Here is Kathleen O'Byrne, Kathleen Lang, Jack O'Byrne, Lad O'Byrne, the whole gang to say hello to you and Mrs. McGowan. Hello, Auntie. And Dick, too. What do you think of this music? Hello, Mrs. McGowan and Dick. Hope you're well. Hello, dear Auntie and Dick. This is Lad and Martin Wynne. Want to play a few tunes. And, and James Henry Scanlon also. And you never heard anything better than this in Polish at Gilavan. Hello, Mrs. McGowan and Dick. We're all fine here. Hope you're well over there. Boys of the Loch and the Lady on the Island, played by Ladoburn and Martin Wynne, recorded in Ladoburn's house in New York in uh, 1948, I think. And that's just one of a number of acetate recordings which have been rediscovered and digitised by the Irish Traditional Music Archive very recently. And Liam O'Connor is the director of ITMA and he's with me now. Liam, we'll get to, to Ladoburn's house and later on in New York in a minute, but maybe just let's start at the start of the story. So Michael Coleman and Ladoburn were both born in County Sligo, but they spent most of their adult lives in America and Michael being the older of the two. Tell me a bit about him and his his background before he went to the States. Well, Michael Coleman was born just outside of um, Calaval near Gertrude in County Sligo. 
he was born into a, a musical family there. I think he was the seventh child of uh, of the family. And uh, he fell into a tradition, really a very strong fiddle tradition in the area. His older brother, Jim Coleman, was a renowned fiddle player. Sadly, he was never recorded. But luckily for us, Michael emigrated in uh, 1914 to New York and he um, had a big recording career there and, and left an amazing legacy, uh, probably the most influential traditional musician of the 20th century in many people's eyes. So he was born in 1891 into uh, into a rural farming community and um, he was taught the fiddle by uh, numerous local masters, including Philip O'Byrne, whose son Lad O'Byrne uh, we've just listened to there. So he, uh, when he emigrated to the States, he recorded for numerous commercial companies and released a lot of 78s, and many of which were in great demand in, in the States, but uh, also made their way back to Ireland and had a, a lasting impact on, on traditional music repertoire and style. Um, there's people even in, in Donegal, like the likes of John Doherty, who would have played Coleman versions of, of things. There's other people in Clare, like Bobby Case, who who took from Michael Coleman. So he had a massive impact. And uh, he was he was kind yeah, of his, he was kind of a superstar of his era in music, wasn't he? I yeah, I, you get that sense from from it that uh, recordings like his Bonnie Kate and and Jenny's Chickens, um, you know, were were reputed to have a massive impact, a, a, an immediate impact as well as a kind of an enduring impact. So people try and uh, follow his his lead even to this day i think his standard of fiddle playing you know many would argue hasn't been surpassed and i don't believe in in, in competition when it comes to music i think of bela bartok's phrase that uh, competitions are for horses but if there were a competition of uh, for fiddle players i think michael coleman is is someone you wouldn't want to be competing with and these acetate recordings that you have, you have two batches as such. So you four, uh, four tunes or four tracks from Michael Coleman and then a number of tracks of uh, Lado Byrne and, and others. But, you know, you've been kind of putting Michael Coleman in context there and the sort of status he had. So to find new previously unheard recordings of Michael Coleman, it's a big deal, isn't it? Oh, it's a huge deal, really. And uh I kind of I was reluctant to believe it was true, you know, that I, that there was more recordings of Coleman out there that we that hadn't been circulated. I think these are very unique, given most of Coleman's music was commercially released, you know, uh, during his own lifetime. In recent years, some of his latest recording, his latest recording session in in nineteen forty four was discovered and, and, and put into circulation and, and, and has a, had an amazing impact. But these particular recordings, courtesy of, of Joe Burke and Jim O'Byrne, are unique because in some instances, Coleman is playing solo, unaccompanied fiddle, which is, you can really hear the detail and uh, it's almost like the, the brush strokes of an artist. You can get really get a sense of what he was about. And it, they, they're recorded in a domestic setting rather than in a commercial studio. So there's a different take on it. So to give a bit of context, Michael Coleman recorded some of these tracks, well, all of these tracks in, in uh, James Ladderburn's house in New York. They were um, very close in terms of their musical friendship, but also Lad was was married to Coleman's niece. They were both from the same area. Coleman was taught by Lad's father. So there, the, he was performing to appear and, and and someone of a you know a, 
there were two fiddle players of exceptional, exceptional standards. So I get the sense in these recordings that he wasn't going to let the, his own standards drop. It was different. There wasn't a piano accompanying him on some of the tracks, which some of the criticisms of his commercial recordings for some listeners is that uh, the piano can de- detract from the elegance and detail of, of finer detail of what Coleman was doing on the fiddle. So I think these would be very, very insightful and um, informative as well. They're, they were recorded in 1942 as well, which is interesting in and of itself because, um, you know, Coleman stopped recording or the opportunities to record were, you know, were hampered by the Great Depression in the uh, 1930s uh, in New York. And then he died, he had an untimely death in 1945 as well. And, um, you know, life was increasingly tough uh, on a on a musician like Coleman. So these are these are an insight into a period of fiddle playing that uh, haven't been heard really before. Let's hear one of them. The first of these four tracks that you heard, I think, was the the track where he plays Master Crowley's and um, the, the bunch of keys. So let's have a listen to that now. Master Crowley's and the Bunch of Keys played there by Michael Coleman from these uh, newly digitised and discovered acetates. Um, Liam O'Connor, what did you think when you first heard that? Were you, <laughs> What was your reaction to hearing that the first time? Well, I was stunned. And th- this is all against the context of COVID-19. So to rewind the clock a bit, um, Joe Burke had um, the great accordion player, uh, from just outside Lockray in County Galway, Joe's a lifelong Coleman fan, and and uh, his Coleman's had a massive impact on it on his accordion playing. But Joe had uh, got in touch to say he had some discs of Coleman playing private domestic recordings that were on acetate. And for your listeners, that acetates are very um, fragile physical carrier, you know. So there there's an urgency to getting them digitized and preserved. So. I was fortunate enough to be in the position to as director of Irish Tradition Music Archive that that I could uh, dip into the into the budget and say, well, these have to these these assets have to be top of the queue for mm-hmm. in terms of priorities for what needs to be digitised. So I travelled down to Joe with my mask on and gloves and with uh, uh, with John Blake who was going to operate the sound uh, digital transfer for us there and then and um, and my wife Neve and. Just when the when Joe played his, he had a, a cassette transfer of these made in the in the sixties, and it was it was too, way slower than than what Coleman would have played, and it was out of key as such. It was much lower in tone, but you could tell instantly that this was really really quality fiddle playing, and also you could tell instantly that it was I you know I this was something I hadn't heard before, and um, John Blake hadn't heard before, and and you know I was afraid to believe that uh, <laughs> until I heard that the proof was in the pudding, that that I hadn't heard these, and um, I think just the fiddle playing as well to to give a to attack a reel like that Master Crowley's, which he recorded commercially as well, but this is much to my ears much superior, and to hear it solo, you can really get into the detail of what he was 
the, the quality of what he was, of his artistic ambition and his execution. And then the bunch of keys with a lovely flourish at the end. It was it was quite an emotional thing. There was a certain uh, feeling of serendipity as well about it too, that um, how fortunate I felt at the time. Uh, you wouldn't have known as we were all masked up and you wouldn't, have, you know, I, I had a tear in, in, in one eye and a big... Uh, a big huge grin on the, underneath <laughs> hidden underneath the mask and uh, but uh, as you said Joe Burke looked after these recordings for a long time and I spoke to Joe from his home in County Galway this week and he told me about his connection with Lado Byrne and how he came to have these acetates of Michael Coleman and I asked him first if he was familiar with Lado Byrne's music before he met him I didn't know Lado Byrne's music at all, because Lad never made recordings. He he had a tremendous uh, amount of music, and he had a tremendous style and technique for playing it. And Ladderburn was regarded very, very, very highly for for his music. But he didn't like commercial recordings. But he he did like to play the music for people in houses that time. There was no pub, no pub music and no no demand for Irish pub music at that time. He was a very humble man who, who valued a lot of the connection between the culture of the rural island and the music itself. And so that's how it was when I got there. And then I, I of course, through the great arrangements made by the people there who were interested in the music, I got to know a lot of people and so on. You're a lover of Michael Coleman anyway, aren't you? Yes. I never, of course, met him. He, he died in 1945. Mm. I never met him, of course. But I had known his music long before I ever left Ireland as a young kid because Michael Coleman's recordings were about the first recordings of traditional music that were imported from America to Ireland. And I was looking up to get some of them and listen to them and learn by slowing them down and then playing them on a 23k button melodion. So it was a, it was no easy thing, but we got through a bit of it anyway. <laughs> Absolutely you did. <laughs> the, pra- <laughs> the practice paid off, Joe. <laughs> um, Joe, how did you come to have four, or two acetates, four tracks of Michael Coleman's music? Well, you know, I lived I lived in New York, although toured a lot out of it from 1961 to 1965, about. And so I had made up my mind and I was just about to move back home to Ireland, having had the taste of all the good life in America <laughs> and also just thinking to myself I'd prefer to live in Ireland 
and I was leaving, and Dad invited me to his house, myself and Andy McGann. And did Lad O'Byrne give you the, the acetates oh, that yes, night? Yes, yeah. yes, we... I had known Lad O'Byrne briefly, you know, as anyone else would have known him playing the music. Yeah. And then we became great friends and I had great conversations. We we are on great together. I like his attitude towards the music. Mm. Lads, I think out of out of his great nature, he presented me with the, with two acetates recordings, which at that time could be reprieved to the original uh, standards in terms of sound. Mm. And so the, we, 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 th- we thought this might be a great advancement towards reintroducing old Sligo music to the people of New York who likes Irish music. Mm. And so all that kind of came about. It took 45 years but it's now here. And we're, although you mightn't detect anything now, but we're very excited about it. And it's it's a great outcome to a meeting between Ladder Burden and myself back in 1965. Well, look, the listeners and the uh, people going into the uh, Irish Traditional Music Archive website will be very, very grateful to you for the care you took of those acetates over the years. And I'm sure they're going to give a lot of pleasure to people now that they've been restored and everything. So um, I hope you're very happy with the outcome. Well, well now I couldn't even begin to tell you how happy this has made me because I realised that... Having had these great recordings for over 45 years, that it was an, an enormous thing to get them finally restored. Joe Burke there telling me the story of these acetates. Liam, you mentioned um, the, the piano playing which featured on, on um, Michael Coleman's Recordings, which wasn't always completely sympathetic, let's say, to the tune being played. But on these tracks, as you say, most of them are solo. But there is one here with um, Andy McGann, Michael Coleman and Andy McGann and James Ladderburn himself, I think, on piano. And it's uh, played by somebody who understands the tune. So it's very nice. What are they playing here? Uh, I think it's O'Dowd's Real, again, another great um, Sligo classic as well. And uh, it's got it from John O'Dowd as well, uh, who's a renowned Sligo fiddle player, I think, spent time in the States as well. Related, of course, to the family, uh, Shamey O'Dowd of uh, Dervish and Sheila O'Dowd and Joe O'Dowd as well. So, the, yeah, it's a classic fiddle tune. Thank mm-hmm. you. 
Michael Coleman, Andy McGann and James Ladd O'Byrne there on piano with O'Dowd's Reel. Liam, once Joe Burke had contacted you about these acetates and you in turn had been in touch with Ladd O'Byrne's son, Jim, who was also very supportive of the uh, digitisation process, you were still only halfway there, really, because digitising acetates is a very complex job. And especially when you add in COVID and travel restrictions and, and everything else. It's very fortunate that we were able to get these digitised during COVID because we were uh, fortunate enough to transport a batch of 220 acetates over to the UK to a, an international expert there. And it was courtesy of RTE Archives lent us these specially um, made transport cases. And um, without that, things would have been very difficult in, in light of Brexit on one hand and, and COVID on the other. So we're delighted to be able to return the tracks to Joe. And we know that they're safe and preserved now as well. And and uh, and it's such a generous gift i suppose to by joe and jim o'byrne to the to the whole traditional arts community especially now when we can't get out to listen mm. to live music that there's these unheard of recordings and uh, that they're going to be widely available to, to anyone who wants to be inspired by them before we leave uh, the particular michael coleman records we might just uh, play one last track of his solo and uh, this is michael coleman playing jackson's <laughs> Michael Coleman there playing Jackson's from these uh, new acetates we're talking about tonight on The Rolling Wave. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about Lad O'Byrne because the two stories or the two separate batches of recordings that you have, they all come together, I suppose, as one. I mean, you mentioned that um, Philip O'Byrne was uh, one of Michael Coleman's teachers in Sligo. But then when Lad O'Byrne went to the States, when he, when did he go to the States and how soon did he and Michael Coleman get to know each other or how well did they know each other? Yeah, well, when Michael Coleman left uh, left Ireland in 1914, he, you know, he would have, Lad was born in 1911. So he was, if he did know Lad as a, as a child, you know, Lad would have been only an infant, you know, three, three four years of age. So, um, Lad, sadly, his mother, uh, Kate O'Byrne, passed away due to the Spanish flu in, in 1918. And um, Lad's eldest sister was pretty young as well at the time. So he emigrated uh, when he was around 16 or 17, moved to New York, and he came in contact there with Michael Coleman. Um, there's various stories, the, the lines between folklore and, and what actually took place. Uh, is you know I've heard different versions of this, but... Um, Coleman was introduced to Lad as a as a, a fiddle player rather than by name as such. So Lad played with Coleman uh, on a particular night, and um, Lad's music really caught Coleman by surprise. I think Coleman tried to lose him uh, <laughs> once or twice by playing local selections, maybe something that, that was that was unique to Calaval, and tried to drop him. And there was a kind of a professional rivalry. He could see that this guy's, you know, this young guy's, you know, my equal or 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 thereabouts, you know. Mm. 
and uh, the penny drops with him during over the course of the night. I think I believe actually with um, Tim Fitzpatrick, who's the accordion player on one of these tracks, was knocking a bit of mischief out of of, of this encounter. He knew the, he knew who Lad was, and I, uh, he brought it to Lad's attention. He said, "Look at his face." <laughs> Do you recognise him? And and then gave it a clue that you know what about Philip O'Byrne? Do you see him in his face? And it all made sense to Coleman then. But they became very very close um, by all accounts over the next seventeen years of their lives in New York. Lad accompanied Michael Coleman to a wedding in um, Providence in in uh, Rhode Island. I think in 1940, and uh, he was introduced to, to Mary Coleman, who was Michael's niece, and uh, Lad married Mary, and, and um, there was a strong family connection there, even on, on, you know, on the third generation. Um, so those Sligo connections were, were strengthened and maintained in, in New York. Let's hear a track of his. This is himself and Martin Wynne, who was also a, a fiddle player living in America at the time, and uh, these are a set of hop jigs. Martin Wynne and Lad O'Byrne playing uh, two jigs, the, the first being the boys of Ballisadair. Um, Liam O'Connor, these these acetates or these recordings of Lad O'Byrne and he's playing here with Martin Wynne, as I say, and uh, Louis Quinn is there as well. Where did these come from? Because these are these came from a different source to the Michael Coleman ones. Yeah, well, these these actually came from my my father's attic in a way. <laughs> <laughs> I had to ring him there recently. Say, how did you get these? Um, so when we were in Itman, you know, we were we were looking to digitize our most at risk material, and these acetates. I think we have four hundred and seventy something acetates at the moment. So we were eager to get them digitized and uh, given priority to the Coleman material that Joe Burkett donated. I looked through them and I could see uh, that um, my dad had donated some of Ladderburn and uh, Martin Wynne and Louis Quinn. So, um, yeah, we put them up at the top of the queue, given the link with Coleman as well. So he got them in turn from Kathleen Harrington. So Kathleen was in the Kinkora Cayley band and uh, was... Oh, was a great fiddle player, a collector of music as well. And when she sadly passed away, her son got in touch with my dad because there was no archive at the time and uh, got in touch to say, um, you know, there's, there's material there if you'd like to um, to come up and, and take them. So a bit like Joe, he's been, you know, he's operating as a as a one man archive mm. for, for most of his life as well. So, yeah, it was kind of there was a certain serendipity about it, too, that um, when they got digitized, there was voice recordings of occasion musical gatherings in, in Ladderburn's house in New York, which I'd never been to. Or certainly my father had never been to either. And uh, to be to be in touch with Jim O'Byrne on one hand about uh, these recordings of Michael Coleman and then on the other hand saying, I actually have these other recordings made in your house that are in, in my father's house for the last 50 years. So yeah, it's a unique kind of feel to them as well because there were house gatherings. I believe Lad had a lot of parties um, or musical gatherings, on, particularly on a Sunday after Mass. And 
uh, it was a great gathering house for musicians from Sligo, but from other other counties too. And and you get a sense of that. And sending these private recordings back and forth uh, to Ireland, mostly back really, because the technology and the opportunities weren't in Ireland. If uh, had Lad never emigrated, he we'd have no recordings of him. And that veil of silence uh, would have descended in the same way of Michael Coleman had he not emigrated we'd have no recordings of him realistically and and like his brother Jim Coleman who people say is is better again or was better again we've no recordings to to verify these mm. things you know let's have a listen to another track and this is a little bit like the track we heard at the start um in that it, they're like messages sent home as you say so everybody says hello or you know there's a message for whoever they're yeah. sending the, the record to which is a fascinating part of of the story as well but uh, this is uh, Louis Quinn and Lado Byrne tell me about this track that they're playing so Louis Quinn was a very um very close friend of Ladder Burns as well. They worked professionally in, in, in carpentry. Lad was a very skilled carpenter as well, uh, and had a great technical mind too. But uh, they're playing a couple of um, Strat Space as well. The first one's composed by James Scott Skinner, the Miller Ahern, and uh, I don't recognise the second one myself. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed hearing these two. Dear Auntie and Dick, this is Louis Quinn and Lad playing the Miller Ahern and some other tunes. And we just got an account that Dewey has lost the election, which I hope he has. Why, of course, I told him. and Louis Quinn there. Uh, Liam O'Connor, your um, introduction to the music of Lado Byrne, I think, came a great deal through the, as the, the web of fiddle players gets, gets sort of more intricate here, but it came through another fiddle player, Vincent Harrison, who also lived in the States for years until he retired back to Ireland. Did he introduce you to a lot of Lado Byrne's music? Yeah, certainly. I, I, I owe a lot of the recordings that I that I have of Lada Byrne come through uh, Vincent Harrison. Um, Vincent was from Drumahara County Leitrim and he emigrated to the to New York. He said he emigrated a couple of years too late that uh, Coleman had already died in 1945 before he got there. But he he very quickly uh, heard Lado Byrne play and um, he was, you know, he was a, a real disciple of Lad. He looked up to Lad and I th- as I think a lot of fiddle players did um, in New York that time, I think he was the dominant uh, kind of, uh, in, in a very um, gracious way and encouraging way, but I think he he set the standard, I think, for, for a lot of that generation, you know, post-Coleman era. And um, I, used to, I went to first came across Vincent at a FLA in 1990 and uh, went to his classes. Andy McGann was home there. It was a FLA in Sligo. So Andy McGann, Vincent Harrison, uh, Martin Wynn was home as well. Uh, I recall my dad interviewing actually the, the, the three of them at one stage. And um, uh, But it wasn't a couple of years later. You know, I was, I was only about eight or nine at that stage. And it was a couple of years later that uh, I wrote to Seamus Wachnahuna in in Coltus Coltori Aaron. I was asking, would he, had he any recordings of John Doherty, the great Donegal 
traveling fiddle player and uh he wrote back to me pretty quickly with a, a cassette he'd copied of of lad of iron playing and the first track was the silver spear and uh, it just blew my mind really it was it was just so so good and, and there was no commercial recordings uh, available of him so you know it it ignited an interest and vincent had moved to uh, vincent harrison had moved to clontarf at that point i was living in baldoyle in, in dublin as well so it was a you know, it was a 25 minute cycle to his house and most fridays i'd go over to him then struck up a friendship and I'd uh, you know, we'd we'd listen to Coleman and and Ladder Barrett for most of the night. And Vincent was I think he was perpetually trying to think which one he preferred, and it'd vary over different stages of the night and different combinations of red wine and different <laughs> fiddles. And we had great times listening to, him, but he'd he'd nearly always revert back. To, uh, he thought Coleman had something mysterious about him, and then he, he that would sound definitive, but, but Lad had something special too. Yeah. <laughs> so well, he, he never got to the bottom of it. Here's a little clip of Vincent Harrison from an old edition of Arnon here on RT Radio 1 talking to Peter Brown and about Lad O'Byrne. Lad O'Byrne, oh yes, yes, for all my time there, I knew him. Lad, the tone that Lad took out of the fiddle was. Uh, it was depressing when you go home and take the fiddle after. <laughs> Vincent Harrison there from an edition of Arnon from uh, RTE Radio 1's archive. Um, it's ironic, Liam, that we're talking about these recordings, all of which, uh, both sets, Michael Coman's and the other Ladoburn ones, which were made in Ladoburn's house and that he himself, so he invested in the equipment to record. He obviously recorded regularly. He was a focal point for Irish music in New York and yet he never recorded commercially himself why is that do you think there's different theories on it and i, I would uh, defer to lad's son jim or james o'burn on, on this but uh, the fact that he was such a close family friend to to michael coleman they're very close i think there was he didn't want to engage in a professional rivalry with coleman who was a big recording artist at the time and so i think there was a degree of deference to michael coleman he was married to coleman's niece and uh and, you know, there's different folklore perhaps around it, but different theories that, that Coleman didn't want Lad to record. I don't know if that, that's fair or, or accurate, but uh, he the fact about it, he didn't record commercially as a solo player. He recorded, uh, you know, in, in, in one or two um, commercially released ensemble pieces, but we're so lucky, really, that... Our, the contradiction is that he had a recording unit himself mm. in his own house and recorded quite, you know, quite a serious repertoire and serious body of work. And um, ironically, he pa- he was so generous with his music in those discs, it seemed that he handed discs out to people, a um, lot to the Mulvihills, to Charlie Mulvihill, a lot to other musicians in New York. There was discs being sent back to Ireland you know mm. ironically some ended up say even with my the likes of my father had, had these discs and then speaking to to lads son Jim as well, you know that, that they weren't left with a huge body of of material in the house so he recorded a lot but not in the commercial sense and he he was very I think generous to a fault perhaps with his and uh, and and very very humble with um in terms of how he presented himself I think publicly at least you talked about the dilemma that Vincent Harrison had been choosing between the two and Coleman understandably gets uh, talked about and analysed a lot, but maybe Lado Byrne less so. How, how how would you rate Lado Byrne's fiddle playing? 
Yeah, I, I've rated first rank really. You know, he's. Uh, I think a lot of these things are down to personal preferences, and that can change from day to day for me. But I think in terms of his, the crispness of his playing, the lovely tasteful speeds. You know, it's not too slow, not too fast. He had uh, sound, even though they're they're the recordings themselves aren't aren't you know the technology behind the recording it wouldn't stand up to today's scrutiny. But the tone he gets from the fiddle. His ideas, his repertoire, just the, the the tasteful way he played. There's a careful balance between um, exciting and restraint. You know, he just all those contradictions, sweet and and aggressive at once, as such. You know that there's uh, there's life and joy in it, and and yeah, just just really elegant fiddle player. Uh, I find every time I listen to it, you know, uh, particularly if I've had a break from it, like. Um, tracks like the silver spear and uh, the flog and reel i just can't really struggle to think of it, of how someone would play them better like you know and it's just utterly convincing whenever i listen to them you have a track as well of michael coleman and lad o'burn playing together which isn't a new discovery uh, especially in in the context of what we're talking about tonight but tell me about this this track because they're, they're very close aren't they the two of them playing together yeah i think this track is very insightful uh, i think it's the the Flowery Hills of uh, or Fields of Scotland and uh, Lady on the Island and to my ears they're almost indistinguishable from each other when they're playing they're so close I think that gives us an insight into the respect between the two you know there's no one pulling any fast handbrake turns or any uh, sneaky uh, variations of that there's a, a mutual respect and and this against the context that you know one of Coleman's distinguishing features is his ability to constantly vary the melody. So he, Coleman, you know, very, very seldom repeats himself. You know, there's always a subtle difference if he plays it once, twice, three, four, five times around. They'll all be different, you know, and slightly different approaches. Uh, in this recording, there, there's a, a respect and a, 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 you, can, you can get that really closeness of, of thought, of tradition, of artistic ambition and you know that they're they're literally while they're not reading from the notes they're you know they're singing from the same hymn sheet as such Michael Coleman and Lad O'Byrne playing there together. Um, Liam O'Connor, you have these digitised acetates now. What What is the Irish Traditional Music Archive's plan for them? Well, our plan is is to do the material honour as such by, by making it available on through our website and uh, they're available, freely available to anyone who, who wants to listen to them, to enjoy and uh, we'll give as much contextual information as we can you know, with the internet as well, we can add to that so if, if there are other recordings out there or, uh, that people want to share or that, that if the people have acetates that they want digitised, you know, because they are at risk that, that we very much welcome them and uh, you know, as a fiddle player, never mind my hat. Honest, mm. as it, with it, man, just just delighted that um that people 
can enjoy these recordings and, and learn. I, I I'm looking forward to really sitting back and learning from these again. You know, they're they're lesson in and of themselves. Okay, well, let's finish with one more track from this new collection. This again is Lado Byrne and Martin Wynn from 1948. And this time they're playing The Echoes of Bunanadden and Miss Roddy. Liam O'Connor, thanks very much for being with us tonight. And to all of you, thanks very much for listening. When Erfad and Shogadi and Tampion and Chachthan Shahogan, Ihoa. And thanks for listening to the Rolling Wave podcast. For rights reasons, the music here is shorter than in the original broadcast. So if you'd like to hear the full versions, go to rte.ie forward slash radio one forward slash the rolling wave. And this programme was first broadcast on the 14th of February 2021. Till the next time, Gurmina Mahagi Agaslan.